actually didn't mind the special. Uh, well, I'm, my I'm, problem is with you. I mean, again, I'm, <laughs> pass. Pass. Okay, like, you can you, use your who, pass. What are you, I'm going to keep passing until you have some more interesting questions. All right, that's fine. <laughs> this isn't because the New York Times has a, the Louis C.K. documentary? <laughs> no, I, I had nothing to do with the Lucy K documentary. In fact, um, but I've written about him a ton, so you could you can, you can look me up and see what I say about him there. All right, deflection. <laughs> I like it. I knew I didn't want to do it. The world that doesn't didn't need another comedy podcast, or at least like another. It's horror movie. That's the one you started. No, no, no. That's not, that would be fun. Actually, I've been on a lot of horror podcasts. I like the horror podcast. Yeah. Because um, that the uh, but uh, I wrote a book on horror. But the I didn't. Uh, yeah. I but someone else wanted to start a podcast. Friend of mine on the writer, the novelist uh, Martin Amos. Okay. And uh, and I was like sort of outside. I like really he's. A fantastic, hilarious novelist, and I haven't read him in 20 years, so I was like yeah. an excuse, to, an excuse to read his books and talk to two smart critics. I was like, uh -huh. me and this, this, these two writers. So I was like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. It wouldn't be something I would normally do, right? And so, and people wouldn't kind of expect it. It's not like one of the things yeah. that I'm. So I was like, that'll be fun. So we started, it, and uh, and uh, I can sort of see the, you know, the, there's 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 it's interesting from a critic's point of view. Because there's things you can get to what I've discovered. I don't like a lot of podcasts. I, yeah. Me neither. Like you. Like you. I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm skeptical of it. I think actually, I'm actually... This I might heard your argument with Tim Dillon. <laughs> oh, I subscribed just to just to listen to your episode. Did you I hear unsubscribed. it? Unsubscribed, yeah. Did you hear it? Mm -hmm. It's funny. How did, was it hard to find? Somebody told me once that it was hard to find that one. He put it just on his Patreon. Yeah, he did. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder why he did. It's funny. It's funny because Tim Dillon... Um, he, uh, I think he was surprised that I did it, and then I did I it. I was surprised that you did it. I'm, <laughs> I'm always surprised when you write about Tim Dillon. It's so off-brand. <laughs> for me? You were saying it's off-brand for me to write about Tim Dillon? It's off-brand for him to be liked. That's true. That's funny, but, but that you went to Tim Dillon's, because I've been on a lot of podcasts. Why that one? I've listened to all of them. you listened to all of them? Yes. Jesus Christ. I listened to John Marco's. <laughs> Uh, I listen to Mark Marins. Uh, Mark Marins. I listen to I listen to the ones that you are just a twenty minute sliver in. <laughs> wow! I, I listen to You're one. Prepared. I know. Oh God! I listen to one where uh, thing. And oh, like, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And then I remember you being like noticeably quiet during that portion. <laughs> She's someone you'd want to know if you want to do if you want to do gigs in New York. Good. I'll cut this part out. Um, <laughs> are we started already? Uh, but you, but you haven't heard the the Marnamas. You haven't heard the one I host. Which one? The one I the one I said the only one I host. I you'll it'll be tough comments. for me. Yeah, it'll be tough for me to listen to. <laughs> I mean, when you said that thing about the authors, I was like, I can see you, Chicago. Yeah, that. <laughs> That. See, that's wrong, though. That's wrong, though. This is the author. You, you ever heard of Martin Amos? He's hilarious. I don't read any of the books assigned to me in Soch. I, He's not Soch. It's literature, my friend. Yeah, they give me literature, too, supposedly. I, <laughs> I've only read the spark notes and make it interesting <laughs> for myself and trying to not 
have looked at anything and just go off other people's comments. Okay, all right. Because otherwise it's really boring. It's just not fun. It's not fun, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. also I don't want to read. You don't uh, want to read, okay. Or not those things. I, yeah, okay. We're, <laughs> let's we're, start. Let's start, because <laughs> okay. I know you have to get to the, the finals game. At yeah, some you're point. not a basketball fan? No. No. Well, it's funny because the Warriors are playing. I know, you'd think you'd be, yeah. so you'd be into it. No, I, I don't. Care. You don't care, okay. No, I follow, I, I follow comedy like I follow sports. Like I consume all for of sure, those. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Okay, we can, we can start. Okay. So I, I, I wanted to say, by the way, that I have read pretty much all of your articles, I think. And I read your Chappelle ebook. Oh my God. Which right. is hilarious in context that he now hates you or something. <laughs> no, I don't think he hates me, but uh, he's, he's definitely <laughs> talked some, talk some trash. Didn't he call sure. you like a bitch or something? He called me worse than that. Yeah. yeah. But you know, if you're, if you're in my position, people are going to call you a bitch a little bit. Right. Well, I would have said, let's use this to get him back. But no, 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 no. I think it yeah, would be hard now that you've called uh, his jokes in the clo- some of his jokes in the closer shockingly hacky. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you if you're in my job, you got to be able to if you dish it out, you got to be able to take it. No, I agree. I agree. Um, I wanted to. I, I have a list of things that you uh, of of specials and stuff that you haven't written articles about, which I'd love to oh, know man. your I opinion I on. I don't have to give you my. I'm not, I, you don't have to. No, I don't. So I'll just say pass. When I don't want to yeah, do it. That's, you're welcome. You're more than welcome to say pass. But before I get to those, Rotten Tomatoes audience scores. That's something I've okay. uh, always thought was interesting because that's something that recently people have been talking about. Like, like oh, see this latest special. 10% by the critics, 99% by the audience. See, the right. critics are out of touch and stuff. What do you make of all that? Oh, it's idiotic. I agree. It's completely, I mean, it's idiotic on a number of different levels. I, the one I don't understand fully, but I've heard others, so I, you know, I don't feel confident, is that it's not, maybe, it, I'm not sure how representative it is because it, depending on how much it rates each person. So that's one thing. But, yeah. but, but it's been sort of weaponized by culture war types who, like when Ricky Gervais is special, they'll say... Haven't seen it. 90% of, of uh, you know, the critics hate it, and 90% of the Rotten Tomatoes love it. And uh, what's interesting to me, and some, like, recently there was, like, some political journalists who did this, and uh, it was, like, a, who was it exactly? It was somebody who was, like, fashions himself like a free thinker. So that was particularly funny to me because mm-hmm. the, the assumption is that there's something wrong when the critics are out of step with the, the masses, right. which is so ahistorical. In fact, in this day and age, there's literally no point to critics if they're going to just echo what everyone else is going to say. You have all these other, you could go on Twitter, you could go on, you know, there's all these places you can, you can look online, you could find all sorts of amateur opinions. So the idea that, that, that that's somehow a mark against is ridiculous. Traditionally, of course, critics tend to have higher brow tastes than the, the masses do. I'm to, sure this will th- thrill the... It doesn't thrill anybody. It's like it's, it would be the equivalent. The question I would be like, does anybody think that the best movies are the ones which are the highest box office? Like, there's a, I, I'm, you don't need to like hate Marvel movies to think that there are metrics of success other than popularity. And I do think it's one of the problems of the kind of, uh, you know, age of the algorithm where when it's so easy to judge, it's easier than ever to judge popularity, that one of the roles of the critic is precisely 
to think for themselves and to go against the grain sometimes. And uh, if you're always arguing with, if you always end up at the same place that the, the majority is, you're probably doing something wrong. Right. So that, that, that sort of particular genre of argument that's become quite popular in all sorts of precincts right. is hilarious to me because to me it's a compliment. Like, like if every, every critic thought that the most popular thing was the best, then critics are pointless. I agree. I mean, the counterpoint that I always look at is uh, Tambourine, Chris Rock's special. That one, no one mentions the audience score, but that one has like 90% or something like that on the critic score and like 30% audience score. And I wasn't, uh, I'm not entirely sure. I think the reason why is because there was that like, in retrospect, very funny backlash about the first joke where he's like, you would think that the cops would shoot a white kid every once in a while just to right. make it look good. Right. So I I think those are the people who feel fired up enough to register an account on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that's that's speaking to, I guess, the first point I was trying to make, which was that um, I think it's easy to game the system. And it's particularly like if you have a political axe to grind, there's ways to shift those scores. I mean, honestly... I never, and this is, I never pay attention to the Rotten Tomato scores. Mm -hmm. And I, maybe if I was a film critic, I would. Um, and I'm not always, in a way, because the stuff I write doesn't always neatly fit into the category of review. Sure. Um, that I'm not always the, the relevant person for it. Um, but, um, you know, I, to me, I'm more there of like, you know, before I was a, a, a comedy critic, I was a theater critic and, you know, the people who make the shows would like take your quotes out of context and put them on a marquee or whatever. Mm. And my feeling is always like, once you write the write the review or write the column, you, you have no control over what people do with it. And you could drive yourself crazy with that, or you could just be like, whatever, let it go. So same, so, so like you're talking about Chappelle getting upset or whatever. like everyone's got their right to their reaction. And it's part of my job to be like, all right, whatever you want to do, it's part of my job to not let that noise intrude on my writing without um, ignoring it because you got to pay attention to somebody. You, you learn things from feedback, negative feedback and positive feedback. But I frankly learned very little f from Rotten Tomatoes, I've mm -hmm. got to say. Um, but uh, I'd agree. Yeah, I mean, I, cause I, I, could, I, I know who's going to like, or I could tell from Twitter, um, or other social media sites, or I mean, I definitely look at like how many YouTube, how popular on YouTube something is. I I, I know how how well Ricky Gervais is doing. Yeah. And who's who's how into it? How well do it. you think he's doing? I think he's doing really well for. And also, I you know now, um, Netflix has like a top ten. Right. I remember about um, I don't know six seven years ago, I went out to lunch with it guy and like a PR person at Netflix and you know they're famously terrible about transparency mm -hmm. and uh, I was like you know you guys are crazy to not put out like a list of what's popular because you think it's going to be bad for you but actually that's people will be interested in it and if something's doing well that's its own story and they were like ah they don't do it and of course they ended up like several years later putting that top 10 so you learned something and now there are a few I think now Netflix has hit a few bumps they're a little more open about telling you how things have done. Yeah. So there are some things. I mean, I am interested in how uh, shows do because it's often the case that things that seem really popular are just things that get a lot of buzz and aren't popular. 
and there are other things that you wouldn't that don't get a lot of buzz that are popular, and uh, that is interesting. Yeah. Um, and I certainly, you know, I'm interested by things. I mean, I've written about a lot of things because I've written about, you know, uh, Carrot Top and Larry the Cable Guy, and I'm interested in like, all right, these things that aren't my, you know, bailiwick, but certainly like reach audiences and I want to figure out why and I want to be a fair to that as, as much as anything else. No, I agree. How do you think uh, Gerard Carmichael's Rothaniel did numbers-wise? Because that got a lot of buzz. That's a really good question. I've actually talked to some people at, at streamers about that and I, I don't know for a fact. So I don't want to, but I, I mean, I, I do know that um, Netflix is bummed they didn't get that. I... Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I think that is a good, it's sort of, that's a great example of the numbers don't matter. Hmm. Like it created such a buzz. It's such a, a unique piece of work that that matters more for those streamers than getting another, whatever, 10,000 hits. Um, did it do, I, I, my guess is, my educated, but totally, you know, could be wrong guesses, its numbers actually weren't that great. Um, judged by what I hear about ticket sales, et cetera. I mean, I think it did, it did better than probably most specials, but I don't think it was like a Chappelle or even a Bo Burnham is, sure. is my guess. But I, I could be totally wrong. And he's certainly done a lot of press for it in the last couple of weeks. So maybe it's, it's building. It's been interesting to see his press for that because, I mean, you could argue that on some level his press is more similar to the special than the average sort of special and press. Yep. Uh, link like usually the specials i mean there's a certain genre of special that's joke dense and more crafted and whatnot and then the press is like ah so what's going on in your life sort of thing whereas tonally watching him on seth meyers he's getting a similar number of laughs uh as during the special i think that's true although i think one of the things interesting about that special is it um you know, it's more, it's, it, it's the product of many artistic choices. I think he's very, it's very deft at seeming casual um, and seeming like it's... Uh, off the top of his head, head. sure. But he toured it. He totally toured it. I saw him do it live, you know, a week before it came out. Yeah. And like, for instance, people are very interested in the, how did he get the audience to like... You know, sure. did, did, did they cut it around? And it's interesting, a lot of people who are very cynical about it, because like, for instance, my favorite detail I've heard about that special, which illustrates this point, is that, and again, I'm not 100% sure, but this is what I've heard, is that it was not snowing that day, right? Yeah. So the first shot is the snow, right? So, so the first shot of this special that's supposed to be all about the truth, right? It's supposed to be all about it, is, is manufactured weather, right? And now it takes nothing away from it. And, and my, the credits and my, too, right? And the credits. I, again, I, I think that makes it even more impressive. Like, it, but the, the point is, is that much like with, um, I think, Bo Burnham, who, who directed it, um, he's, you know, part of the artifice is creating the sense of authenticity. And that to me, if anything, is one of the big step forwards that the special has gone through, that the stand-up special is this weird form that people think is just like, oh, they just put a camera out there and recording what, what a guy's one live performance. But it was never that, is right. the truth. And it it's really not that today. And every decision is carefully weighed and measured. And then you've got people like Bo Burnham who, 
you know, I think is a really interesting director. Ultra close up. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that piece, which you read, it was, I was trying to illustrate this point that like, if you compare how Chris Rock's cut of the total and but Burnham's cut, you can see how these directorial choices can have a big impact in the same way that a director who's making a movie, a feature film, can have a big impact. Um, you think Total Blackout would have been a more popular special than Tambourine? If what? If they put out that cut. It's an interesting question. I'm not, I mean, uh, would it be more popular? The intro certainly felt more fun with yeah. Jeff Ross being like Chris Rock as opposed <laughs> to just coming out to like tepid applause. And- yes, no, I mean, my expertise is not in what is going to be popular. I, I, I'm interested in it, but I don't know is the, real, is the honest answer. Do I think it would be better? No. I agree. I, I think Bo Burnham's version was better and it had a, it had a point of view um, and in my mind, the form matched the content. Um, and to me, that's sort of where, you know, that's the question of all art that, you know, people making movies, people making plays, people making books, that's what they're thinking about. All right, I have this idea for this novel. You know, what, what's the best, I have an idea of what I want to be about. I know what the themes are. I know what the language is going to be. What's the best form to match the content? That's sophisticated art makers make that. Stand-up's a little behind, but they're, but they're st- people are starting to think. What's exciting about this moment is people are starting to think much more, with much more sophistication about form. Um, and that's a perfect example. The fact that Chris Rock hired him was, was smart of him. And, and he's always been. Chris Rock's always been, you know, I think he's famously said, like, the special should be special, right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> he's, uh, and, um, I mean, actually, right now I'm doing this piece uh, it's kind of a quirky summer piece where they do kind of like little random stuff. But um, they're doing this this thing um, at the times where they want everyone to have like a collection of different things and write an essay on them. And I'm mm. doing a collection of bottles in specials. Like bottles? <laughs> yeah, like the water. Like the oh. like the like whether it's bottled water or whether it's you know Ron White with the shot glass or whether it's uh, like so basically I'm, I've been like just for the last week just watching specials, keeping an eye on the liquids, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a weird thing when you think about it because um, in a play you would never see like a bottle of water on a production of Hamlet. Sure. But God knows the guy playing Hamlet is thirsty. Like there's a lot of language in that play. And but in it, it would be ridiculous to have a bottle of water on a on a play stage. Now in stand-up, not only is it not ridiculous, but it's basically a you almost have to have it now. Uh mo- like the, the bottle, there's a lot of specials, like I think Taylor Tomlinson, you never see her drinking or whatever, but it, you just have that bottle on the stool. And it signifies this is a stand-up special. Kind of creates continuity issues sometimes. Totally, I've totally, very much so. And the and um, but what I noticed about Chris Rock as I was, I think it was in, um, I don't know if it was Bigger and Blacker, or it was I think it was that one, in which he's an example of somebody who you see him at first backstage, you see him with a bottle, yeah, and he's drink, and right before he comes on stage, he heads to the guy off stage. So he didn't put the bottle on stage. He's more like a play. Right. right. He wants the art. Like, and I think that says something like uh, we're like Seinfeld, for instance, like the bottle. He's he wants he wants it to look like stand up. Mm. And what stand up looks like is a stool, a mic and a bottle. But he also jumped out of a helicopter and into a lake <laughs> exactly. for his intro. So exactly. I don't know how much. <laughs> ah. Well, he also wants to put on a show. He also wants to be like, I mean, it, it is a 
it's a his show is like stand up, but but I'm I can do this. And no one else can. I like the helicopter thing. Did you? Yeah. Why is that? I just thought it was fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just uh, yeah, cool. He's jumping out of a helicopter. He like spat out water as he walked on stage, which was kind of a funny uh, play on it or whatever. I mean, I like the way you mentioned Chris Rock's specials and yeah. stuff. I like the way Bring the Pain was shot. That yeah. was shot kind of conventionally, but there you can still feel the audience in the room. Uh, there's a, like an interesting mix and it's kind of shot like a mission impossible movie yeah. in the sense of like, whenever you watch one of those trailers or one of those movies, I've noticed recently, they always hold off on showing Tom Cruise for like the first 15 minutes. Right. It's just like, there's a problem. There's a problem. Everyone on the, this guy tries to solve it. This person tries to solve it. And then here's Tom Cruise to jump on the airplane. <laughs> like that was, bring the pain. It was just the shot of his feet walking backstage while the guy did the announcements with like the Woody Allen uh, album and Bill Cosby and stuff. And then he comes on stage. Yeah, no, it's, it's a classic suspense building. To, I mean, I, I've just been with my kids reading uh, Shakespeare plays, right? And I feel bad for your kids. <laughs> See, this is where you're missing out, my friend. You 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 need to you need to expand your mind because you 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 would be you you'd learn that where these guys get it from is you have one thing I, I didn't even realize this, but like Hamlet doesn't show up in the first scene of Hamlet. Macbeth doesn't show up in the first scene of Macbeth. Romeo and Juliet don't show up in the first scene. It's the same thing. I did some backroom Shakespeare stuff in yeah. Chicago, which is. Like trying to, it's almost the environment is almost closer to stand up. They're trying to recreate their original environment of Shakespeare or whatever, huh. and so it's much more casual. People have like read it once. There's no rehearsal. Yeah, and the jokes actually played. Wow, like that's the timing fantastic. made sense, and things that I would not read as a joke when I did it Work. in this more casual which thing. Which ones? Which plays? Boy. <laughs> because this is something I thought a lot about because Shakespeare sh is, in my opinion, I'm really interested in this question, which is independent of Shakespeare, which is that does, what, does comedy age well? The conventional wisdom is it's terrible, right? There's nothing that ages worse for it. And I think that's wrong. I think that, and I think that, um, and I have like a whole spiel about that, but the one that's challenging is Shakespeare because people thought that Shakespeare's a showman. He was popular in his time. He was, he was entertainer and he made, wrote comedies. And I think a lot of those comedies, some of those comedies do age well, like Falstaff is, is a funny guy, and like if you want, and a lot of Emmett Chill is funny, and there's and he's great with puns, but a lot of it, to be, I mean, if you want to be real, is not, does, as, you, as you point out, it does not age well. And um, so I'm, I've been interested in actually, one day I want to write about like, is that, does, does, does Shakespeare's comedy, is it actually funny to an to, to a audience today? Um, I think that like if you even if stand-up's now old enough, even if you look at something like Newhart, that's old now. That you know, that's like you know, it's it's uh, sixty years ago, right? And some of that stuff is really still fun, still funny. Holds up. Nichols and May from um, you know Chicago, yeah, still funny. Emo Phillips holds up. Mitch Hedberg holds up. Oh, now that's that's more recent. But yeah, if you look at look at compare that to dramas from that period, sure, they don't always they don't hold up. Or let alone. The silent era, like what holds up better than Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin? No, no drama holds up better from that period. Um, no, no talkie holds up better than um, Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. That's, I mean, in a way, that's a little bit cheating because that's like an action film, 
I like Mr. Mr. Bean. <laughs> Mr. Bean, I think, is, well, that's another, which is like, he's like the, he seems to translate to different languages, too. Right. People like well, him. Well, he's not speaking, so right. there's no language. Well, to, he does some speak. He doesn't, doesn't Mr. Bean do some, uh, depending on what the... I think they have the, like, blah, 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 kind of thing. Like, he is speaking, but they're huh. not, but they're not showing that. I mean... You're talking about like the beverages and stuff and specials. Have you li- you've listened to Woody Allen's old stuff? Of course, you hear of a course. lot of the clinking of the glasses. Yeah, and the yeah. Nightclub atmosphere. Did you read? Did you read his book? Which one? Apropos of nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did read one in the early pandemic. Oh yeah, me yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you listen? I listened to the audio book. It kind of sounded like his standup because pr- he narrates. I probably should have. That's probably the best way to do it. How was it? Uh, there, it, there were very funny moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Holocaust joke I thought was hilarious. I, oh, I can't even remember. But um, but um, it sounds like Woody. Yeah, <laughs> it was interesting because I'm, you know, I've never seen any of his movies. Or, you never seen any Woody Allen movies? No, I don't. Not think a single so. one. I don't have that. But like, how much time do you think I have? You're assigning me Shakespeare and yes, go all of stop Woody doing Allen's this movies. podcast. Go watch Shakespeare and watch watch Woody Allen movies. That's a good use of your time. <laughs> I've I've seen. So my understanding is I've basically seen all of Woody Allen. <laughs> oh my God, that is <laughs> all right. It's a sad, a sad state of affairs. I've seen Louis too. <laughs> That's maybe closer. They're both, they're both, they're both derivative. That's true. It was interesting. I, by the, I like both of those shows, but it was interesting to see. Uh, I mean, you you could argue that Woody Allen is taking the approach that people wish Louis had taken. Uh, in terms of addressing his thing, because he spent what eight chapters on it or something. Some insane amount of the book was just talking about allegations and this report and that report. It almost bored me. Right, right, right. I mean, they're totally different situations. I sure. think. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, it, it it did. I think you're right from like a pure narrative point of view. It's, it was a little bit like uh, Lenny Bruce at the end of his life where his stand-up set... He was just reading the thing. He was just obsessed with his court case. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was almost like it was eerie a bit how much it echoed that. That it was like, even, all right, obviously some people are not going to pay any attention to, to Woody Allen's book and they're going to dismiss it out of hand. Right. So the people who already are buying the book or are reading the book are already probably Woody people, right? Or they're comedy fans or whatever. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they, that first half of the book, they're like, oh, this is like a light, funny, Woody, with all this comedy history. And then suddenly it's like becomes this blow by blow of, you know, relitigating this thing. Whatever you, I mean, putting aside your feelings of Woody Allen, it completely derails the tone. Yeah. Of the, I mean, Woody Allen is a, you know, his, his literary comedy is in a very specific tradition. Mm. And it's like a certain kind of light. I haven't read his comedy. other books either. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. If you haven't read, you haven't seen Annie Hall, then you probably haven't read his. Uh, but those are good. It's too. on my list. It's on your list. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna, if you, if Annie Hall is is worth seeing. It's the 90 minutes side. Back then, they, he 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 didn't make long movies, which was nice. But did you see it at the time when it came out? <laughs> no, I'm not that old. I don't know. I'm not that old. <laughs> he came out, I think, in '77 or something. I was born in '75. Oh, but okay. uh, but I and I didn't even see it when I was young. I think I saw it when I was like a teenager. I probably on your age so but how do you know then if it ages well or not because because i actually saw it again um I, sh- I saw it again not that long ago maybe over the pandemic yeah but i watched avatar the last airbender over the pandemic and i saw that <laughs> when i was a kid and so there's an element of nostalgia and whatnot to a movie you saw when you're 15 right 
You mean when it comes to the to Annie Hall? Yeah, something aging well or not. Uh, sure, I guess. I mean, I definitely saw a lot of things over the pandemic for nostalgia's sake, but Woody Allen I would put in a different basket. He, I, he actually doesn't mean a lot to me for nostalgic reasons. As I said, I didn't watch him when I was like, a, you know, a kid. He wasn't formative. He, I didn't, he, he, you know, when, when it came out, it was before my time. Right. Um, but, I, and I'm a critic, who pays attention to comedy and comedy movies and, try, and and looks at it, you know, tries to look at it some systematically. And so I was actually approaching Annie Hall thinking I was going to not like it or wasn't going to hold up. Interesting. Because obviously his reputation has faded because of his personal life. Right. Um, I mean, they just put out like a list of like the 100 best romantic comedies like The Ringer put out it. And I don't even know if Annie, if Annie Hall, it might have made it, but it wasn't in the top it would have been unthinkable before this thing. Everyone would be like, "Any Hall be number one, obviously," because all everybody, you know, all the subsequent movies are all in debt to it. And but anyway, I saw it and I was like, first of all, it's an incredible. Well, it's this whole other subject, but Diane, it's a the, the it's a great movie. I, it's, it it completely holds up, and um, and another example of how comedy can you know can age. I guess. Uh... You think if the Rolling Stone put out another one of those top 100 comedians or whatever, do you, do you think Cosby makes the list? you think Louis makes the list? First of all, I think they wouldn't do it maybe for that reason. I think so too. You know? I think so too. I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting. They were, they, you've noticed there used to be more of those lists. Yep. For comedy, it's tough because you basically, that's the big problem, right? It's like how do you, you have to have a fundamental point of view on that question. Um, and uh, I mean, it's ludicrous to have to not have them both of them yeah. on the list. I mean, they're especially op- top one hundred. <laughs> I mean, Cosby. I mean, did you watch the Cosby documentary or the uh, which one? There was one that. Well, anyways, yeah. It, well, it's not. It's not essential to see, but okay. but but it's just another reminder of what a massive career that guy's had. Yeah. Like how important he is on so many, I mean, again, before my time, but also during my time. I mean, the Cosby show certainly was a big part of my childhood. Okay. Um, and, um, but he had did, you know, had so many more things than that, obviously. The uh, Fat Albert was a, was a big, was a big cartoon of my time. So the, um, but yeah, he very well might not make that list. After he got out of prison, when it was, when there were rumblings about him announcing the tour or not, was there a discussion amongst your editors and whatnot as to whether you'd review it if it was in New York? No, we never got that. I mean, first of all, the weird thing about Cosby is, or from an artistic point of view, yeah. is he doesn't really fit neatly in these stand-up traditions. Like, he does if you go way back to, like, the 60s. Then he was, like, part of the coffeehouse scene with Woody Allen. But, you know, at no point, if you, like, he would never come to, like, a New York club. He would never come sure. to the comedy cellar, right? He would care. And his style was so different, like, this sort of sitting on a chair, telling these long stories. It was, and, it, you know, before this, he was, like, a family-friendly, clean comic. He was... It was interesting in that, I don't know, he, I don't know, he was influential sh- for sure, but not to the comics that you're going to see at a lot of, at most comedy clubs in New York. Chappelle, though, right? Wouldn't you say the shape of his jokes is kind of similar, the circuitous arriving at the thing? Was- it's an interesting question. I mean, I think, I mean, as you pointed out, like, I wrote a 
uh, ebook on Chappelle and spent a lot of time talking to people who knew him. Right. And he didn't come up that much. Now, since then, I, you know, he talked about him, his influence on, you know, one of the specials he talked about Cosby at length. Um, well, he said he saw that cover of Time and that's what made him want to be a comedian, right? Yeah, Chappelle yeah. Chappelle said yeah, he yeah. saw Cosby on the cover. And I'm sure that was like a super, you know, that was, you know, he was important to everybody in entertainment. He was so massive. He was right. so massive. Um, he's unavoidable. But... As a stand-up, do I see, um, I think like a guy like Tony Woods, who didn't get a, a fraction of the success of Cosby, yeah. had way more influence on Chappelle in, in, in his affect, in his speed, in his storytelling than, uh, than Cosby did. And also you gotta keep in mind, when Chappelle was starting in the 80s, right, the coolest comedian around was Eddie Murphy. Right. And Eddie Murphy, the big fight back then was between Eddie Murphy and Cosby, because Eddie Murphy called him out uh, on, uh, you know, was it was Raw Delirious. Yeah. And uh, so you kind of like picked a side. To, and if you were a young person, you were coming to comedy. Like, But of course, Chappelle did not ape, unlike a lot of his peers, he did not ape Eddie Murphy um, in terms of his style. But, uh, you know, if you were, a, it was a generational thing. Yeah. Like, like, I think if you were a young person coming up at that time, Eddie Murphy was cool and Cosby wasn't. Um, Who other than Chappelle do you see the Tony Woods influence on? Oh man, that's a really good question. Because I can see people influenced by Chappelle, yeah, 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 influenced yeah. by Tony Woods. But who directly from Tony Woods other than Chappelle? It's interesting. I wish I had a better answer. The truth, I think there is a lot, um, and I think I, I could define what it is before I get the name, which is which is which is precisely that. What was weird about Tony Woods is that, and you know, also I keep in mind D.C., which is where I grew up, right. Um, was and I grew up in a very segregated city, um, and there was a very it was a very segregated comedy scene. So there was black comedy and there was white comedy, and there was some overlap. There was one club, Garvin's, which is where Chappelle started, right. which was actually more white than black, but there was both. And uh, when Chappelle was young, he was sort of killed more in Garvin's and white rooms, and Tony was killed in both. And Typically, like someone like Martin Lawrence, Tommy Davidson was more of the style that would kill in black rooms. It was like faster. Um, and uh, Tony Woods was relaxed and slow, and he would do the same thing Chappelle does where he, the way he holds the mic stand. And, uh, and that is the thing that I think a lot of comics point to, because also Tony Woods plays in New York a lot as well. Um, and so the, this sort of slow, laid-back style. But if, like, you know, of course, there was guys like Mitch Hedberg who also had a laid-back style, or like Todd Berry, you know, his, his laid-back style. So, so I, I'm not sure who else, but I think uh, there's definitely a, a lot of other people. Because, of course, Tony Woods is one of these guys who didn't become really big. I mean, I wrote a story about Tony Woods, which, uh, and the point was sort of like, here's this, you know, great comic who influenced Chappelle who you haven't heard of, right? But First I heard of him was that Mark Twain Awards thing. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that was the week of that came out. Was that, that, because uh, I went, I went to DC that week and I, instead of going to the Mark Twain Awards, I went to see Tony Woods play at the DC Improv. Oh, really? Yeah. And that was, uh, and I knew, I know Tony Woods, um, and there was a kind of a DC pride about him. And, uh, and, um, but he hasn't really made it big, you know, he hasn't really made it, but, but among New York comics, he's well known. Sure. But I mean, Chappelle 
praised for his originality of style and whatnot compared to sort of the Chris Rock dominant style at the time, Martin Lawrence, more animated, whatnot. You think if Tony Woods was big at the time, they would have just been kind of the way they talk about Kevin Hart and Eddie Murphy, like, uh, you, well, you can see the influence, that kind of thing. Yeah, if he, got, if he, if he made it bigger, I think so. You think I it think... would have affected Chappelle's career? I don't know. There's occasionally some snarkies, but I mean, my, my general point of view of it is like, it's funny, people have very weird ideas about influence. Like, I kind of think it's like a flattering. It's like, a, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, I don't think, I it, I don't think it, would, it would change his, uh, uh, his, his, his career much at all. But I, I, I think that, uh, like, for instance, Tony Woods does do the thing where he knocks the mic on. Yeah. Like, and now I notice people starting to make fun of Chappelle. I'm seeing it a lot of acts actually. Gary Goldman has got a has got a very funny bit on it now. The uh, so it's um, but that but Tony Woods does that. I don't know. I don't know if Chappelle got it from him, but I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I think Tony Woods has only said you know positive things about being influenced, being influential, and whatnot. It did bum me out over the pandemic. I saw some podcast or interview that Tony Woods was doing, and he was saying that he's delivering Grubhub. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? That bummed me out. <laughs> that is, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it bummed me. On the, on the other hand, isn't that kind of like, I feel like there's something inspiring about it too. That it's like, here's this guy who's like, he never quit doing comedy. He's still doing comedy all the time. And he's doing it because he loves it. Yeah, he should be better, he should be better paid for it. But like, there's some, I actually like that, that, that genre of comic to me is somebody who's doing it for the love. And because like everyone says they're doing it for the love, right? But if you're delivering Grubhub <laughs> and you're, you know, whatever, what is Tony Woods, 60? Something like that. Um, that uh, you found something in life which you love and you're still doing and that's success, that's real success. Um, I know that seems crazy to you, but that's, uh, but that's actually what I think, which is a little bit, maybe it's a little romantic, but that's what I think. I Take your point, still bumps me out. <laughs> I get it. Also, imagine ordering, I mean, most people might not know, but imagine you DC ordering like Chinese food and having Tony Woods drop it off. Oh my God. That would be, I'd tip. <laughs> you better tip well. Yeah. You better tip well. It's true. No, and the thing is in DC, they Can would- Can I open for you? <laughs> That's Can right. Can I do five? That's right. Well, it's funny because I always thought Tony Woods did pretty well overseas. I've heard that too, but I guess not well. Oh, I, the child support probably, is what he was saying. Oh, uh, right. And, and pandemic, pandemic, I'm sure. Is tough. Yeah, if you're not headlining a club every weekend, that's a lot of your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's it sucks. It sucks. What do you think of Chappelle's SNLs? You think they'll bring him back for 2024? Oh, I'm sure they would. I'm sure they would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, again, he's he's, you know draws more eyeballs than anybody else. What do you think from an artistic perspective of his essence? I mean, I, I gotta say like, I don't, I didn't think he was bad, but I don't, they're not like memorable. They're not like, I don't, they don't particularly stand out. And I'm like not, uh, I'm not like an SNL head. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, the, uh, so if, if anything, I'm kind of like SNL, is SNL, we were talking before that you, you, you and your dad talk about comedy like sports. And uh, I think for a lot of people, and this guy from New York Magazine has written about this, that like SNL is kind of like sports. That it's like, <clears throat> it's a thing that everybody watches together and that's what's cool about it. But from like, uh, even when I see standups on there, they're not necessarily doing their, their best work. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, it didn't didn't particularly stand out. I mean, he had some tough gigs, right? He had the first after the election. Um, so, you know, he's good for that because um, Chappelle has a kind of gravitas um, that is rare for a comedian. Um, it's funny, you know, I mean, I'm curious what you think of Chappelle because in, now he's become so polarizing that people sort of have to choose a side, it feels like, yeah. a little bit. And the reality even is... Even comedians, too, which oh, is bizarre. Even comedians are bizarre. And the truth is, is, like, I notice this among my peers, and I see people who, like, they choose a side there, too, right? Like, journalists. And, like, I haven't loved Chappelle's last, you know, his recent work, mm -hmm. but he's incredible. He's an incredible comedian, and he, even in his recent work... He does some things that nobody else can do, and there's certain traits he has that, like, like particularly his gravitas and his eccentricity. And like the, you know, it's funny he's got more in common with with uh, Hannah Gatsby in terms of his willingness to go without a joke um, for long periods of time. I mean, he's great for all kinds of reasons beside the joke. Um, and anyways, we we we've, we haven't we've sort of forgotten to have the conversation about like what he's good at. Except the people who love him, who just think he can do no wrong, right? Right. And um, so I don't know. What do you think of What do you think of Chappelle? Boy, we, when we were recording at the start, you were like, "Well, let me know when we're starting, so I can know what I'm <laughs> saying on the record." Because we were talking about we were shitting on Booker's and uh, I wasn't, we were shitting on <laughs> Tim anybody. Dillon. Well, you you were saying you 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 heard me on Tim Dillon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I liked it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I saw him. You know, and, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. No, 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 yeah, I do. Um, I saw him at the MGM Grand Arena uh, in Las Vegas. Okay. The first show back, like the first concert back. Right. After the pandemic. And it was pretty incredible to watch. Yeah. And he has a different tenor live than he does recently. This is the only time I've seen him live. But right. he had a very different tenor live than he did on the special. Right. Because he had a lot of the trans stuff minus the sort of last story. Right. Uh, but the tone was much more amiable and tired than it was. The special felt like, all right, gloves up, confrontation time. Like everyone, yeah. people who hate me are going to watch this. Yeah. Whereas the, the feeling, it might have been changed by the fact that when he started talking about it, uh, someone in the crowd whooped, like when he mentioned transgender people or something. Like, I forget the context exactly, but it, it sounded like it was a transgender person whooping, and he was, he, he just kind of seemed over it when he was doing it live. Mm. Whereas in the special, it felt more like, like, how, you're challenging me? Okay, let's go to bat. Right, right. I, I really liked, I'll say it's funny, we got, MGM Grand Arena is huge. That was the first time I'd seen comedy in an arena, 15, 20,000 seats, and very bizarre experience. Would probably not go back to see anyone except maybe Chappelle. Right. Uh, I mean, I saw Louis in a 1,200-seat theater, and even that was a little too big, I thought. Right. But we got, we got what were less expensive seats, uh -huh. and... They were like worse seats, but yeah. then at the last minute they switched it to performing in the round. Okay. So we were really kind of 
in the center. Huh. And I remember he did that, uh, the joke about the Asian hate crimes. Right. Uh, and he did it a little differently, too. He got the crowd to applaud first, and then he went, and that's what was happening inside my... I couldn't help but think that that's what was happening inside my body. And that's the only time I've ever been watching a comic and been like, ah, I should just quit. Right. Like, I genuinely had that feeling. For, really? Interesting. For a second. I was like, that's so far beyond at least my skill set at the time. Uh, it was funny, too, because at that point, it was you know still pandemic, so I had been doing a lot of shows at baseball bleachers and on a lake with people biking by with huge speakers blaring and ambulances and stuff. Mm. At the end of so very suboptimal environments, then you come to this and people are paying attention and whatnot. Towards the end of his set, after you know an hour and a half or however long he went, he said, you know, before I go, and MGM Grand Arena is let's say 15,000, I swear to God, 3,000 people stood up and made a beeline for the bathroom mm. for the exit. <laughs> and you could tell he was annoyed because <laughs> there was like maybe a romance of first show back. Right, right. And then he says, you know, before I leave, and people are like, ah, end of the show, I'm going to beat the line. Uh, so I don't know. It's I didn't like him initially when the specials were coming out. Interesting. Because people kept recommending him to me in... Did you watch his, his Chappelle show? Not before the specials. Did you watch it since? I, I've watched a lot of the sketches. And what do you think of the, like, what do you I, think of that? I like the blind white supremacist yeah. sketch. I like some of the other sketches, but uh, I don't know. It's, I'm sure he'd be pissed at, at this, but Key and Peele was what people my age watched. Interesting. And it's kind of a similar... I mean, if you want to talk like influence and stylistically and and whatnot, those sketches I think were much more resonant to people my age at the time. Huh. The reason I didn't like him initially was because, well, looking back, it's because he's so self-referential mm. that if you're watching the first one, which was Age of Spin live at the Hollywood Palladium, he's talking about getting booed off stage in Detroit. You really have to be like Team Chappelle. Right. And, like, know his backstory and stuff and in order to find that super funny. Right, right. Uh, and you have to, like, care. Right. He's not... It felt like towards the existing fans. I think the in point for me was uh, Bird Revelation. Mm. I really like that one. Mm. The one where he's in the belly room at the comedy store. Right, right. And then once you watch that, you felt like can go to more of them. Mm. I like the closer, more or right. less. Huh. I don't know if I would have preferred him to talk about something else, but right. I liked it. I found it compelling. I thought it's weird to hear that he's been making trans jokes since. Like, you would have thought he would have done a hard stop after, mm. at the end, being like, okay, no more. Right, right. But, yeah, I mean, I liked it. Yeah. You wrote what seemed like a very reluctant article about the closer. Well, it's a tricky, it's, 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 uh, um, you know, I'm a culture critic who is interested in politics, but that's not my, my, I'm not interested in writing about culture war. Sure. But you can't avoid it. Yeah. And it's particularly hard to avoid when it comes to Chappelle. Well, he uh, leans into it. He leans into it. So, and there's a certain, uh, like, uh, 
you know, I, I want to, it's a tricky thing because you'd want to, uh, I, I, I want to, as I said in the beginning, I want to listen to what the conversation is, but I don't want the conversation to dictate what my reaction is. Right. I, I come to Chappelle from a very different place than where you come from, Chappelle. Right? Sure. So you like, literally wrote a book about it. Yeah, like, and I think his early stand-up is, in, is some of the greatest, you know, is, is some of the greatest of that period. I wanted to ask you about that, though, because after those two specials, I wasn't a alive at this point. You right. saw those two when they came out, right? No, I, you know, I don't know if I did see them when they when they came out cuz I was going to say it really those really were not what made his reputation, right? right? It really wasn't. Like th- those were yeah, if you were like really into comedy and you but he wasn't that famous, you know, because of that. It was Chappelle show. I mean really Key and Peele were for a long period of time um sort of were like the ignored like, they had a chip on their shoulder, and Chappelle sort of had a running joke in his live act about how they ripped him off, which wasn't fair. Yeah. But, uh, I saw that. He put it in one of the specials, too. Yeah, I mean, the... Uh, I had to watch Key Ch- and Peele do my show for Chappelle, com- The Chappelle show completely changed the game in so many ways. I mean, it changed Comedy Central, the trajectory of Comedy Central. It changed... Um, Not permanently. Not permanently, no. It's funny, looking back, and now it feels like... I mean, well, there was a time when... Comedy Central was really the central center of comedy, and that was because of Chappelle. And um, and yeah, it was like you know at that time it was like SNL was not relevant compared to this show. This was what was dominating the culture. And what was interesting was that it wasn't like uh, oh is this either smart or is this like performative gut last? It was both. Um, and um, and you know it was it was like appointment viewing. It was it was um, and then the way he left it made him this kind of legendary figure, which I think is key um, to understanding sort of what his current, uh, his current weird place in the culture is. Um, so um, that said, like, I did love that early stand-up, and I have sort of high, with someone who's that, he also has been doing this since he was a kid. He was, you know, he, he was like a prodigy. Um, he was great from the jump. Was so, he? I'm, I'm asking because... Everyone who saw him in New York, or not everyone, the people who saw him in New York and are now famous and whatnot talk about how great he was when he came to New York, like right. how he was right. surprisingly developed for that age and stuff like that. I haven't heard that the same thing from D.C., and I oh, wonder yeah, from... Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah? Definitely. I mean, I, I, you know, when I talked to a lot of people from D.C., and that, that's exactly what they said, that, he, that uh, you know, I mean, not that he didn't develop. Um, and you could see it. I mean, if you look and you look online, you can find clips of his when he was nineteen. But but that's that's the line on him. Is that like, you know? And and it's interesting. I don't you know. Uh, it's, trust me, I don't want to talk that much more about Chappelle because sure. it's it's boring. Uh, and and everyone wants to talk about it. And it's it's, it's there's many more things, interesting things in comedy. But the 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 transfer from D.C. to New York is a big jump, and a lot of people. Um, fail on that move. And a lot of people have trouble in that transition. And Chappelle, man, did he not. I mean, he was, was everyone knew he was going to be big. He came to New York. He was right off the bat. He was ahead of everybody else. Um, and then he had, you know, I mean, this sort of difficult, I think the real key to Chappelle's history, which gets overlooked, is the 90s. Because he had all these failures at sitcoms. Pilots, right? And, yeah, and and that is what I think soured him to the industry a lot, and I think, you know, made him really smart about doing his own thing. Um, and I think, you know, what I kind of hope, you know, the weird, the interesting about him is that he seems a lot older than he is. Like he said, rightly, that like he seemed like like 
I think you described him as like tired and weary. Like his, it's funny because he's like, he's not that old. He seems like he's like in his 60s. He's in his 40s. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and so he's going to be doing this for a long time. And I think he's got <clears throat> a lot more twists and turns in his career. And my hope is that, you know, one way to look at his career is he gets uncomfortable. He's most comfortable being an outsider, like a lot of stand-ups. And right now he's got this fan base that wants to hear trans jokes. Um, and, uh, you know, he can get comfortable with that and he could, he could play to that, right? Or he could try to, like, uh, challenge himself. Um, and I would just say the thing I've been thinking about lately is, because, you know, I do feel like, you know, to answer your question directly, it's like there was a point when I was like, the, my political reaction to Chappelle's work is overwhelming my artistic reaction to it. And it, it makes me think about when Eddie Murphy's Delirious came out, which is one of the most important stand-up special I know it's way before your time. I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen it? Yes. Okay, you've seen it. So uh, Eddie Murphy's stand-up episode, everybody saw Delirious. Everyone was influenced by Delirious. Delirious is incredible. It's also wildly homophobic, okay? Uh, in ugly, ugly ways, right? About, not just about gay people, but about AIDS when people are dying, right? And it wasn't just homophobic. It was homophobic in a tremendously influential way that inspired a lot of other comedians to be homophobic. It inspired a lot of homophobia in, like, the, the world that I grew up in. Like, the schools, you know, the, the amount of casual homophobia that I grew up in was huge. The, the Kevin Hart joke that got him banned from the Oscars, okay, in my interpretation, was when he was earlier in his career, and he was just basically trying to like be do what Eddie Murphy did before. I don't think Kevin Hart is some hateful guy who wants to make people, you know, who, who was really that was a passionate joke about his kid. He was that was just Eddie Murphy was success, and what he did was do wildly homophobic humor. It was at the time protested just like. Chappelle's was, right? There was this cancel culture thing is, is, is hilarious because it was like, you go back and read the stuff. It was, it was protested wildly. In fact, not only was it protested, it was protested, protested so much that the head of HBO had to respond to it. And his response was, you know, we're not gonna, we're, we're standing by our artists, but we don't like this. You know, like, we, this is, you know, hopefully he'll mature. And you know what? Eddie Murphy did mature, right? He, he, a decade later, he apologized for that material. He realized that that, you know, he, he outgrew it. Now, to the question of how damaging is this kind of anti, this kind of trans jokes, right? And I think that's a complicated subject. And a lot of people exaggerate the harm of a joke. And a lot of people underplay the harm of a joke. But if you want to be taken seriously, the idea that a joke could do harm, I think you would point to Delirious and say, you don't have to think Delirious is shit. Delirious is great. Delirious can be both fantastic, brilliant, and cause real harm to the culture. Not just, it didn't influence like right wing, it influenced the whole culture, right? The whole culture, it normalized a kind of bigotry, casual bigotry against, hom against homosexuals in a way that seems crazy now, right? Now, will, uh, the interesting thing about the reaction now to both Chappelle and Gervais and, you know, outside of the fact that their material, like saying, uh, you know, something who identifies as something else is as hack as the airplane food joke, right? Is it, is it ultimately like normalizing something that is, you know, 
hurtful to a minority group? Maybe, maybe. Um, uh, and, uh, and there were elements, I think, to be honest with you, of the closer about when he talked about the woman uh, or the, the trans woman who killed herself that I really, I mean, I just thought it was unconscionable. The parts that people actually think are the best parts. <laughs> like when, when he says, uh, he describes the person, this person as not a trans person, but as a comedian. This is a person who's dead. They can't respond. And why can't that person be both things? It's, it, I mean, I can't imagine doing that about anybody, saying like, if, if somebody died, then it said, let me tell you what community they're part of. That's not my role to do. And he's obviously doing it for his own purposes. Um, so, you know, at the, as I said, at the same time, he's, you know, he's a very gifted comedian, but uh, hopefully he won't get completely bogged down in pandering to people who want anti-trans jokes. Did you see the Sticks and Stones epilogue when it came out? Yeah. What'd you think of that? I don't even, to be honest, remember specifically. What, 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 what it, was, it was the thing where apparently, because I didn't watch Sticks and Stones when it came out, I don't think, but apparently if you let the credits play to yeah, the yeah. very end. There was another play, part like, afterwards, yeah. And that was the first time he talked about that trans woman. Uh, yes, I mean, I remember, I remember seeing it. I remember that, you know, and I've heard other things about that. And, you know, yeah. it's a whole. It's, it's off a, Netflix now. It's all, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. Some people have the exact opposite reaction and think that that portion redeems the rest of the it. other parts. Um, and they think that there he's, you know, humanizing this, this person and he's, um, and the people who are protesting are not taking, uh, you know, that point of view, you know, so, so people have different points of view on it, but, to, and I think there's, there's room for different points of view on it, but I can't imagine, I can't get inside the head of somebody who thinks that, that it's okay to say, I, I, I mean, I know that Chappelle, you know, fundamentally thinks of himself as a stand-up comedian. That's been a running joke of his, like when Michael Richards, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. he said, identify versus a comedian. So clearly, he's just talking about himself. <laughs> he's, like, yeah, he's, like, he's just talking about himself. But the question is, what moral obligation do you have to, to somebody who's dead to then tell, tell the world what community they belong to? Whether, forget gender, sexuality, just period. Like, it, it's, it's just a, on a human level, I don't see how, that's how people defend that, but they do. Hmm. Last thing on Chappelle. Yeah. Uh, the reason I asked you if you saw the earlier two specials, Killing Up Softly and For What It's Worth, yeah. uh, at the time was what's really interesting to me is like the whole top five or greatest of all time conversation, how that gets shaped. Because I'd say if you asked people six years ago, Eddie Murphy would have been on a lot of people's lists. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't think people, he's really registering on the same part, but Chappelle six years ago might not have been on anyone's list, I don't think. Oh, interesting. Uh, but now he's on everyone's. And what's- Not everyone's. Not everyone's. <laughs> I, I'll say a lot, a lot more people's. I mean, most people in like, again, I think you're a comedian. Sure. You have a very, you have a, you're in a bubble. That's that, true. I mean, Chappelle used to be beloved among like the cognoscenti. 
right? Among the among the media class, among people who go to you go to people who have seen Woody Allen, you know, people ever, he was beloved. Now it's the opposite. Like I have much more positive thing to say about Chappelle than most people. Like I think among and when I talk to people who are you know younger, younger than you, yeah, people who these trans issues are of paramount concern. Um, in you know in New York and L.A., you know. Uh, he is just a bigot, period. Um, so I agree. I, I think he's that really is, uh, misjudging the fact. This idea that like he's certainly in the top five. No, 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 no. Yeah, among among comics, sure, and even among you know that you know certain comics who disapprove of him. There's there's a. Uh, um, I've just noticed respect. I'm, yeah, exactly. Um, a lot of like, he's obviously one of a lot of the criticisms I noticed after this last one were like, he's obviously one of the greatest of all time. But and then, but there's a stuff. there's a new there's a new thing I'm hearing among a lot of young comedians that he's just irrelevant. It's the same thing I've as heard that it's too. the same thing as Eddie Murphy before. Like you're saying it's like you know that's the thing that I think he's the, what makes me pessimistic that maybe he won't pivot again mm-hmm. because you know. The other thing was interesting, again, we're going on Chappelle forever, but I think it's interesting what his make of his audience is. Both politically and racially, it's, it's totally changing. And, uh, you know, it's harder to sh- pivot the older you get. Um, and I think to a lot of young people, I don't see, any, I don't talk to any young people who are talking about Chappelle. I agree. I think the, the, even the people who, who think bigot, uh, it's. I'd almost say it's closer to irrelevant slash no opinion because they haven't seen the specials. Like, obviously, I think that's a silly critique when people are like, oh, but everyone who doesn't like this hasn't watched the whole thing. Right. I think is obviously stupid because a right. lot of people have. Right. But I, the people I talk to who are my age tend to have not seen anything he's right. done or almost almost nothing he's done. Right. Um, yeah. And I think your earlier point is an interesting one. I think is, is right, which is the self-referential aspect. A lot of the stuff he, he I mean, look, he's part of the tradition of like topical com- com- comedians. Yeah. So if you watch Mitch Hedberg, that no. doesn't age. There's nothing topical. If yeah. you watch again, Bob Newhart doesn't age. I mean, Chappelle, we love, love him or not, like some of these references, like you know, to the Kevin Hart situation, no one's gonna know what he's talking about. Absolutely. In ten years. Um, and even the Chappelle, Chappelle show, which again is what I loved him for originally. Yeah, I don't uh, know who Rick James is. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know who Rick James was. That was the funny thing. In a way, I I can argue that that Chappelle show will age okay because I didn't know I didn't know the Rick James stories either. But I just it was like this is like a flamboyant over the top character. I also of, didn't know who Marion Barry was, but Bring the Pain <laughs> hit okay. Right, right. But I the the thing I was saying though is like. Regardless of whether it's among comics or comedy fans or younger people or older people or whatever, he seems to be more in that conversation of best comedians ever now than he was prior to his Netflix run. And what's interesting to me is, I mean, maybe people talked about him in sketch or whatever before then. Right, right, right. But what's interesting to me is what they cite is usually the earliest specials the first two mm. they're like he's one of the greatest of all time my favorites were the first two but what's funny to me is those were out already <laughs> right. i mean people don't really say 846 right but i think that's a bigger contributor or the snls or uh, feel like a bigger contributor to that than the earliest one it's just interesting to me that those those specials were out 
And he was not really in that conversation, at least to me it feels like, wasn't yeah. in that conversation as much. And then he does this Netflix run, which is mixed to say the, uh, right. you know, but, <laughs> and now he's in that conversation, but they're citing earlier specials a lot of the time. I just found that. Sort yeah, of it is interesting. It is interesting for sure. Weird contradiction. All right, let's move on from Chappelle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've been tired of talking about him from before. Like I'm tired of all the comedians talking about cancel culture and I'm tired of all the critics, except maybe you <laughs> using it as the metric for by which they're evaluating it. Right, I agree. It's t- it's tiresome. It's tiresome. It's it's uh, it's just the same stuff. It's, it's the same. So it just sounds like you want to talk about something new. I mean, it's just well, like it's. But go Rathaniel ahead. Nathaniel frustrated me in the same way. Not the special, but when I read your review, right. which was I think came out like with the special. Yeah. Um, you said you know the coming out's going to be the headline, but we should focus on the other things, the technical aspects and the craft aspects too. And when I read that, I kind of rolled my eyes and was like, yeah, that'll be the headline, but people will talk about other stuff. Unreadable. All the other, (laughs) all the other reviews, I have not found one. Usually when a special comes out that I watch and I'm I'm interested in what people are saying and critics are saying, every single one just talks about his coming out and very, very little, some mentioned the direction, but not in a meaningful way. Yeah. And that really annoyed me. So, you know, props to you for <laughs> calling that one and, and knowing the, whatever word you used before to describe that class of people who loved Chappelle before. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, well, it's interesting to look back at it, at Gerard's earlier work in the context. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. It's really- Those jokes play really different about him sitting on a canoe with, <laughs> Yes, yeah, totally. And even just the whole genre of comic he was. I mean, I think it's, it's, uh, I was talking to uh, somebody was making the point that there were, that his whole career kind of makes sense now. Yes. That like he always seemed incredibly talented, but a little bit distant. Like you didn't really figure out where he's coming from, both as an actor in his sitcom, but also in his stand up. He's like, was, it was a little bit mysterious. And now, of course, that you realize he's sort of living this secret, as he puts it, right? It kind of, and what that does to you, which is the theme of the, the special, um, it's, it's really interesting. Um, it, makes, it, makes, it makes sense. I mean, it's, it is an interesting question, though. Like, you know, 20 years ago, when Ellen came out, that was it. That was the story. That was a, unusual. And now... If you look at how he presented it, he did whatever the critics said. He didn't present it as the, the, the headline is "I'm coming out." It's I'm, I came out and he, and I've been living all these lies, and here's the reaction of people, my family, and, and its fake impact, snow. fake snow, and all this stuff. And it's and I thought that was interesting because I thought it was like it's still a pretty unusual thing for uh, a stand-up of his stature to come out. Sure. Um, and um, there's a way, and there's many more. I mean, I wrote a piece like eight years ago, which now I don't think I'd write it the exact same way now, but about like, why is it that there is, has been superstar uh, lesbian comedians, but not superstar uh, male gay comics? There mm-hmm. has been superstar uh, gay actors, but not, not gay, because there's... Uh, there are there are a lot of gay comics. Do you think Matteo Lane's going to be big? That's a good question. I think he could be. I think he could be. I mean, he's got to make a bunch of. He's he's not. He's far from it now. But he's got. Um, he's extremely talented. 
I think he's, it's interesting because he's at this point, he's like a probably best known as like a seller comic or club comic. Right. Cause he puts out all those Instagram reels. The, yeah. Among other things. And he is, I mean, he spends a lot of time with the seller. Right. And so, uh, it's funny because I mean, you've probably got this since from just being in the city for a little about, you have like these, the, the kind of Brooklyn scene, which is much more, you know, LGBTQ, you know, than the seller scene, but that's changing a little bit, but they're very different worlds. And, um, the seller traditionally is like a macho straight, you know, male world. And I think that in a weird way, um, the exceptions like Amy Schumer, it benefits them. It helps them get up a springboard. Absolutely. Um, and it I makes can, them stand out. It makes them stand out. And I like, for instance, there's, um, what's, what's the name? There's a trans comic who was just on, um, the Letterman thing. Jay, uh, Jay McBride. Oh, sure. There's a bunch of trans comics right now. That's the thing that I, that I've been really looking at is like, who's going to be the, the breakout trans comic. Cause there's yeah. a ton of them now. And there's one at the seller. That's Jay McBride. Who was just on Amy. She was Netflix. She had like a, five, 10 minutes set, but there's a, but there's many more who have, you know, uh, you know, more alt scenes and, um, but yeah, M Mateo, I think you, there's certain advantages to being the kind of coming from the seller and yeah, he, he, he could, he could get big. I mean, there's the, uh, but I mean, I think bef there's people ahead of him right now. I mean, you're going to see, obviously Joel Kim boosters have this movie come out right. and Boniang. he's got Is a, Boniang a stand up. I, no, I, don't, I mean, okay. I, not that I know of okay. the, uh, but Joel Kim booster has a special Netflix coming come out. I think at the end of the month. Oh, great. and so coming on top of the movie, that's like his chance, his moment, or uh, to jump a class. And then you've got, um, I think Billy Eichner's got a special along with like a big movie. And he um, hosted that uh, LGBT. He hosted that show, and, and he's that already, Netflix did. I mean, he's already a, a pretty famous guy because of Billy on the Street. So yeah. um, there's. Uh, yeah, that will be interesting to see. The um, but, but but why do you ask about Mateo? I'm, I'm... Uh, he stood out to me in the in the Netflix. Mm. Netflix is now dropping all of these presents. <laughs> yeah, right. Hooray! It's interesting. What do you think of this? I, I mean, whatever. <laughs> it, it's it's fine. Yeah, they're fine. I I'd rather hear Bill Burr do his bit when it comes out in the special instead of like a. What felt like, you, you know, the Michelle Obama opener from Paper Tiger, where he's talking about first ladies and stuff like that? Yes. There was an iteration of that in just some random Comedy Central thing. It might have even been Bill Burr Comedy Central Presents. <laughs> right. Uh, there was an earlier iteration huh. of the bit that was online on television, and it wasn't quite there, like the sort of last 10% where he brings it around and makes it. Yeah like completes the bit and whatnot. Yep. It wasn't quite there in the same way that it was there in Paper Tiger that made it compelling and more interesting and like a quintessential Bill Burr type bit. Yep. When he hosted his Bill Burr Presents on Netflix, it kind of felt like that earlier version of those jokes. I agree with And you. also, I would not hire Bill Burr to host something. <laughs> yeah. I love Bill Burr. He's one of yeah. my favorites. Uh, yeah. But he's he seemed like those comics you see in a club who's just like... I got hired to host. Yeah. <laughs> like you're like, all right, make it, make some noise. <laughs> that sort of thing. I don't know. Right. The, I liked Wanda Sykes' joke about the Will Smith thing. I thought that was unexpected and fresh in the LGBT. Right, thing right. It sounds like you watched them all, though. 
I haven't seen the Amy Schumer one yet. I haven't seen the Pete Davidson one yet. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> I saw the Kanye clip from right, the right, right. Pete Davidson one. I haven't seen Snoop Dogg's Netflix comedy special. I saw that live. You really did, I you? did, I, did. I like Snoop Dogg. What do we, what? <laughs> I was, I, I was, I wanted to see Cat Williams and I wanted to see, uh, who was he was one of the presented? One, yep. Why are they putting all these headliners in there? Like Michelle Wolf was in Bill Burr's thing. I think I think it's like a pivot to have more content and to I yeah, look. I mean, how depends how cynical you want to look at it. Sure. I think like from a they're out of money. Is yeah, that what you're yeah. Trying to I say? think yeah. They, I mean, well, they're just shooting their all their specials, batching them. It's now? cheaper. It's cheaper if you want. It's cheaper to get more content, right? Well, That's the cynical take on it. The uh, but you can't you can't change the form then to match the content in the way you're talking about in like how you're shooting the special like every if you have 12 comics totally. on an lgbt show totally billy eichner and um like tig Nataro should not be shot the same way no it is clearly not an art it's not an effort to make the best possible specials right both on a content level like you're talking about the bill burr said is not his best work right i don't think he would say it's his best work no um but also from uh, how it looks, whatever. And yeah, at the same time, it is interesting to see all these people in process. Yes. And like, it's kind of like watching it on YouTube. Like, I like, you know, oh, like I, I'm curious. Like, I haven't seen Bill Burr's new hour. No. And I I'm, it was nice to get a taste of it. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't review it. Uh, and there was, kind of, and it was nice to see some of those people who were a little less famous like Jay McBride. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you that that, um, that there's something that, that I, I, I haven't watched everyone. Like, I, I haven't watched Wanda Sykes. And I usually, if Wanda Sykes put out a special, I'd watch the day it comes out. Yeah. But I haven't watched that. Her joke, do you want me to spoil it for you? Yeah, go ahead. It was like, Will Smith hit Chris Rock so hard, the, the dude from CODA heard it. <laughs> I thought was awesome. Tig Notaro had a really good... She was the only one who had what I felt like was... I mean, to be fair, I didn't finish all the sets. I kind of watched the first minute or so of right. each person. Right. She's the only one who felt like a full, coherent set. She just did, like, one story. Huh. It totally worked. She killed... I, it sounded like she killed in the room huh. more than everyone else. And right. she actually seemed uh, comfortable. And also Sarah Paulson introduced her and then stayed on stage afterwards and was just kind of awkward because they're having actors introduce, like famous uh, actors introducing the comics, which is kind of... That is weird, yeah. Weird, but I understand. It's like yeah, you yeah. get to put them on the cast list. Right, 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 right. No, it would be interesting to see if they do more of the stuff. That it's like... I mean, it's funny because you, you realize that, like, the special is not that old. Certainly, like, the special as, like, a popular genre that comes out every week, the right. way it's been the last couple of years. And... Uh, you know, this idea that you like, you, 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 you pay a lot of attention to it and you work on it for a year and all this, like, they weren't doing that forever. Like, in fact, most comics did, like you say, Chappelle didn't do that many on Seinfeld didn't do hardly any, yeah. right? Like, um, so if net, and part of the reason it became part of the meat and potatoes of kind of the cultural diet is because of Netflix. Right. Now, if Netflix, I still think they're going to make a commitment to it because it's, it's cheap and it's part of their brand. Um, and um, other other places will take over if they don't. Um, but I could see, I could totally, I, I, in fact, I predict, and there's a lot of tea leaves to read, that they start competing more with YouTube and start doing more YouTube-like things. Putting stuff on YouTube now. They're yeah. putting YouTube exclusives. They did, 
I thought the only presents that they were going to do was uh, the ones they put on YouTube where it was like introducing or something like that. And it was Mo Amer hosting right. one. and had. Well, I'll tell you what the most interesting thing, the most interesting shift that happened in the last like month was Chris DeStefano self, I forgot, I'm going to get the language a little wrong. Sure. But essentially, he self-produced a Netflix special. First person to ever do this. Really? He paid for it. He, they leased it. Okay, so they don't have, they, every other special they own in perpetuity. Yeah. Not him. He, so, but he also got less money. Uh, he, got, he has less money for a short period of time. Um, that could be the way for the future. The people who are putting stuff out on YouTube now the Mark Normans, the Sam Morells, um, uh, Fahim Anwars. Like, if this Chris Stefano pulls the kind of numbers that YouTube does, you know, those people are going to say, look, if I can make the same kind of exposure and make a little money and be able to say I'm a Netflix comic, which people like, you know, Sam Morell. I don't know if Sam Morell's had an hour special on Netflix. Yeah, I saw him on the Letterman one, though, the Letterman Presents. I actually liked that one better than the, I mean, maybe it's just higher budget, but yeah, yeah. it felt. Yeah, I was there, too. That was, that oh, was where, Yeah, yeah. So that was, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that is, but that's, the, the consequence of that is that I think it's going to be a little less prestige. It's going to be less of a big deal to get a Netflix special. Yeah. I mean, after this festival, I mean, is it what four dozen comics who have the as seen on Netflix or <laughs> I don't, I wonder what the as seen on Netflix's YouTube page people are saying in their bios now. Yeah. Well, what it might be is like each, again, this is we're a ways away from this, but it could be like HBO is where you go for like the, the prestige special and Netflix is like what every, what most, the, the biggest reach maybe, you know, the camera and who knows whether Hulu, I mean, I think there, there'll be a few more players. By next year, there'll be a few more players. I mean, people smell weakness. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so there, there's going to be some other people putting out specials. I'm trying to think if any other HBO specials have really popped other than Rothaniel. I mean, I know Ricky Velez had one that came out, but I don't think a lot of people saw it. Right. Uh, there was a couple other ones that I thought, why am I forgetting the, the woman from L.A. Um, whose special I really liked? Ah, I just look it up. Um, there's, you're right. They, they, I don't know. If, I mean, Tignatero had one. Uh, they actually have a great backlog. I mean, obviously, because but HBO, they're not on there. A lot of not them. all of them, but but some of them are. Some yeah. of them are. Chris Rock's backlog is not on HBO Max. I mean, some of them are, but Bring the Pain you have to watch on some weird Vimeo thing, which is crazy, right? It's very bizarre. But I imagine eventually that will all change. It's just a matter of like when the rights become available. Obviously, HBO Max is in for the long haul. They're, they're streaming's the future. They're gonna be. It's gonna be a battle, right? They're gonna, um, or it's gonna be a war, I should say. But we'll, we'll see. I heard. Uh, I saw. This is, this is, I guess, the advantage of watching very obscure stuff. Right. On YouTube, there was this thing at the cellar called the Glenn Show. Okay. Uh, which some academic doing... Oh, yeah, like Glenn, a, Glenn Lowry's. I yeah. think so. Yeah. Uh, but they had a bunch of comics on panel, Shane Gillis, Andrew Schultz. Right. Uh, Andrew Schultz mentioned in that that he lost his Amazon Prime special after the Chappelle backlash. Really? Huh. Why is that? I guess he said, you know, Netflix... Because people were saying, like, Netflix stood by 
Chappelle, and that's a good thing for a corporate right. non-buckling or whatever. Right, right. And Schultz was saying, well, all the other companies freaked out. So what's he going to do then? What's he, is he going to put it out on YouTube? I have no idea. I mean, I, the funny thing is, like, does it matter? The Amazon Prime, like, speaking of ones that don't make impact, <laughs> like, like when, what, when is an Amazon Prime special ever... Like I mean, you wrote about Gaffigan's I, special. I know because it was news at the time. It was like they, who knows? I mean, they have all the money in the world. They can obviously afford to be a bigger player in it. But um, and they could pay, so they could pay decent money. But uh, Schultz is an interesting example of someone who's obviously like built this popularity via on YouTube. YouTube via YouTube. Uh, and uh, he makes enough money doing any that he doesn't need to do it. Um, he's not doing this for the money. He's doing it for the prestige and the exposure. And the question is, like, how much prestige and exposure is getting on Amazon these days now? I'm sure what he wants is a Netflix special. That's a good question. You think he went to Netflix and then got turned down? It, I be, I'm curious. I assumed that this lease arrangement that we talked about was for these that that world of of comics like tim dylan uh and i'm not basing this on any knowledge i'm just assuming like because it would also allow netflix a little bit of plausible deniability i was gonna say because then you can <laughs> there's no question of do you need to take it off your platform or whatever because then you can be like we're considering and then consider for one year and eight months until the rights expire, and then it'd be like we made the right decision. <laughs> right, 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 right. They can play. They can play the good guys. The uh, no, but I mean, who knows? Who knows? I, I mean, I don't know how Schultz is uh, special did over the pandemic. With, uh, the Netflix one, yeah, where he did John Oliver. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get the sense that that was like I, you know, they weren't promoting it. The death there wasn't. I mean, it didn't seem like it was gangbusters. I could be wrong, but if it was, I'm sure they'd want him back. I wonder why he isn't talking about it because it seems like. I mean, he almost gets more traction, kind of in the vein of Chappelle, by saying that big companies hate him than from the actual specials. So. Well, completely, he's giving up something by going to uh, a big company. He's Absolutely. giving up his narrative. Absolutely. Now, of course, that was always the plan. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he was, it was always a, and to some extent, I like, I have, I respect the hustle of being like, you know, it's hard to, to, to get, get your name out and make a name in, in stand up, right? And so a lot of this, like, you know, they're, they're censoring me, I can't talk. A lot, of, a lot of it's marketing. And, you know, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's less so when it comes to people like, at this point, I think, like, if you reach the scale of Chappelle or Rogan, it's like, that's what, they don't need to do that. But uh, for, that's how Schultz was like, a, you know, was doing okay in New York, but he wasn't doing great. And then he did, and then he used that to jump a class. Now, what do you do now? Well, I mean, the interesting thing I find is that you have this whole, and this goes to what we were talking about before we started about podcasting, like, and it, it, which is, and I think you, you heard in my, I've never, never actually wrote this column out, which I've been thinking about since I did the Tim Dillon's podcast, and I think about it even more, which is what is the impact of podcasting on stand-up comedy? Right. And it's clearly been great for the bottom line of a lot of comedians. You can make money. You can't make money in a lot of things in, in art. But you can make money podcasting. You can develop an audience, right? That's great too. And you can get good at a certain thing. 
But it's, I would claim it's not necessarily, it's not stand-up. It's podcasting. And in a lot of ways, what that is is similar to radio, to like morning, the morning zoo radio of my childhood, then it will, which is still around to some degree, I guess, then it is the stand-up. So the downside of this is that if you get good at morning zoo radio, that's where you are. Hmm. Then I'm like, you're not even, it's not something even that I cover. Do you like Flagrant 2 or Andrew I mean, Schultz's I like, I, I, I occasionally pay attention to it, but not that much because I don't see it as my beat. You know, it's like, I don't pay attention. I, there's only so much I can pay attention to, right? I don't pay attention to even like oh, TV you, stuff. You do Shakespeare, Woody Allen. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I wish I could cover Shakespeare more often, but I don't have time for that either, right? I, if I could do Shakespeare and Flagrant too, it would be, uh, I'd be happy. But no, I cover stand-up and improv and sketch. And, and um, there's this open question and comedians make the case to me. They're like, this is part, this is comedy. And they got a case to make because now it really is where a lot of comedians make their money. It's certainly where Andrew Schultz is. But to me... It's not stand-up. It's more, it's, it's, uh, it's closer to this kind of radio. And it's interesting, like I'll be, like the, uh, when, when these podcasters who've gotten famous from podcasting and developed an audience in podcasting, they start putting out specials then. What's, what's their audience gonna, gonna, gonna think? Tim Dillon's got a special in the oven right now, right? I'll be curious to see what, what his audience, who expects a certain thing from him, you know, what they think of, of the setup. I mean, I, and it's, it's really interesting knowing that, like, whatever, right, Tim really is, like, a, you know, guy who started in stand-up, has done a lot, put a lot of hours in. He's not, like, a novice at it, but he's not famous for that. He didn't cut, he didn't, he's not, you know, wildly successful because of that. But Chappelle wasn't famous for his stand-up either. Well, he was well-known and put incredible amount of time and hours into stand-up before he got a sketch. Right, but, I mean, in ter- he was famous for his sketch show that he did the... And the audience kind of followed him to stand up, right? It's true. And I guess the counter is that, like, this is how it's always been, right? That, that in truth, only uh, fairly recently do people get famous from stand-up specials. I mean, Chris Rock. Ellie Wong. Yeah, that typically the, the route was you, you got a certain amount of success in stand-up and then you got a sitcom, right? Or you got a TV show. So uh, the, the argument would be not embracing these other forms is a mistake. And so that's something I think about, and I have written about podcasts. Um, I've reviewed podcasts. I was the first person to review a podcast in the New York Times. I have Which done, one? It was a Julie Klausner's podcast, which okay. was like, a, was a while ago now. But, um, but I remember thinking about it. I was like, all right, how do I do this? How do I actually review it like a piece of art, like one unit, like a movie? Have a you play? listened to uh, Tiger Belly, Bobby Lee's podcast at all? I've heard it a bit, yeah, not a lot, not like enough to have an opinion on it. But yeah, I mean, I think I've seen it mostly on YouTube, though. Yeah, it's almost. In, I've heard that their viewership numbers for most of these podcasts is almost one to one YouTube to audio form. Is that right? I, I've heard huh. that when people talk about the podcast numbers and viewership and stuff, because what they essentially are, are long form talk shows. Yeah, because there's video components to those which are just as important. I mean. Andrew Schultz's new Flagrant 2. It's Flagrant 1 now, right? Isn't it not Flagrant 2 anymore? Oh, yeah. They Isn't it just out, Flagrant? Isn't right. it the whole... I haven't seen they it. They keep changing the YouTube <laughs> thumbnails and stuff. I always find those YouTube... Again, I mean, I was about to say nothing against it, but... <laughs> I mean, I get why he's doing it, and... You know, why is he doing I don't know why he's doing it. Why is he, why is he changing from Flagrant 2 to Flagrant? Oh, no, I don't get that. Okay. Um, but <laughs> There must be a reason. I mean, the guy is he's a 
he, he's very calculated in all these branding decisions. Yeah, and it's interesting to see him talk to people who are sort of echoing his style but are not maybe as uh, strategic in that specific, like, YouTube marketing thing. No, I, there's no question that he's uh, he's figured something out about the business for sure. And I think he's accelerated this trend that you're putting your finger on of video being a big deal. Like now I see, I mean, I go to, I, I do interviews with comedians and there's like a camera person with them. Right. It's like everyone's in a reality show now. Right? No, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. No cameras here. No camera, no this camera. This is audio only, baby. <laughs> old school, old school. And then I got to figure out what to put in the YouTube thumbnail. <laughs> I think if I make a clip for the portion where we talked about Andrew Schultz, I'm going to have to make it in his style. <laughs> like I'm going to have to put him with like his mouth wide open. and being Right, like, right. That's true. That is his thing, right? And then like fire and... <laughs> Maybe like a Jeff Bezos's face, Bezos Schultz beef, <laughs> right, right. something like that. I think the weird thing is, and I've heard this from some comics, is that it's dangerous to to uh, not that you have a choice, but to to build your 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 livelihood on these platforms that can change so radically. I agree. Every, you know, it's like one day this thing you can say, but next day this thing you can't say. You don't know what. It's, it's like it very and. You know, the, all these tech companies are very unpredictable. That's the difference. The, the, the whole, like, it's always been the case that you can't say certain things on whatever platforms you have. And, and in my opinion, you're, there's more freedom now than there was at most other times in history. Sure. But um, the difference and the thing that I do, like, sympathize with comics now is it's less transparent. But you're also building it. Those people, I, I take what you're saying, but those people yeah. who are building it to the platform I mean, it's hard to make an artistic argument from where I'm sitting. I don't have anything online. I have one short documentary about Asian-American hate crimes on, <laughs> on YouTube that right. has 500 views. And, you know, so I, it's, it's hard to criticize anyone. But I heard... Well, how come you have not? How, how come you have not? Are you, you, well, do I'm you, not putting out clips, yeah. You're not going to put out clips. Why not? Uh, I'll put out clips of the podcast. I'm okay with taking something and slicing and dicing it, but I want to make that thing first as opposed to, like, making a two-minute video for right. in vertical aspect ratio, hoping that that's what's... Right, and that thing is, is a stand-up hour? Yeah. Or not? A lot of stand-up, I don't know. A lot of stand-up, stand I don't know hour specifically I that is what I'm working towards right now that was what I was doing when I was running the weekly in Chicago as for not putting out clips I don't know right I mean you talk about I I agree with you I think people will be worse stand-ups and I think uh we've seen evidence of people being worse stand-ups when they're primarily focused on podcasting right but if podcasting focusing on podcasting whatever two hours, twice a week, plus prep, plus logistical stuff is an impediment to your improvement as a stand-up. What's a day job? For sure, no. I don't blame anybody, for, let me be clear. I don't blame anybody for, do, for, for podcasting to make... I don't blame Tony Woods for working Grubhub. It's tough out there. You I blame Tony Woods for working Grubhub. Dude, I blame him. You want him to be hungry? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, the, anyways, the whole conversation is like no, a little bit, uh, it's like, yeah, you, if, you're, if you're really being savvy and cutting edge, you're like on TikTok and you're doing, and you're thinking about 
in a whole different way than YouTube. Like, we, like the, or you're on, you know, the, the, the point is, is like the platforms are constantly changing and, and you don't have to do them. Um, you could just do stand up and you might end up being a better comic that way. Um, but like you could also cut your losses and do like a little bit of try different things and see what you like and see what you're good at. And, you know, again, I'm not an expert in any of this stuff. It's like, that's just, but as an observer, um, I like respect the hustle of anyone doing this stuff. Um, and it seems to me like, even just as a journalist, you got to figure out like one, what you like and what you're good at. And that's going to be different for every person. But you're saying doing them, when you say doing them, you mean creating native content for them. You can create like non-native content. That's kind of what I mean by slicing and dicing, you know? Yeah. You put out a special and then someone's going to put it on TikTok. Someone's going to clip it and put it on TikTok if it, if it gets enough views on YouTube or Netflix or wherever. Yeah, yeah. Someone will put it on TikTok. You can just be the person to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to be talking to the front-facing camera on your phone every day. Right. And then you still focus on stand-up. You can still put out what you want to put out. So I'm fine with putting it out various places or whatever, but I mean, you asked what the goal is. The goal right now is just to be really good at it. Right. Well, that's a good goal. Not, a, not, not as much a question of like the hour or the whatever. It's just being very, very good, as, as good as I could possibly be. Right. No, my question is just what is the it? That, it seems to me like being good at it is what, the, what, what should be your goal, sure. but what the it is, 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 prob is, and it could be a moving target. Sure. Um, but, um, uh, but I mean, and what it is has changed so radically over the course of the time that I've been covering it. Sure. What do you think of uh, Live in Austin, Shane Gillis Live in Austin? It's been a while. I mean, I, I don't really have like a coherent thought about it. I remember liking it, okay, but I, it, but it's been it's been a while, so I don't have like a like a fully fleshed out take on that one. Generally, Shane Gillis, I assume you've seen him around because he's a New York guy, right? Yeah, I mean, he's a talented guy. Like, I, like I, he's, like, I've, I actually have not seen, like, a ton of sets, but I've seen a few, and, like, they're, you know, uh, you know, I think he's, he's, like, uh, he's got an interesting point of view, and he's got, like, a, a you know, stage presence, and, uh, you know, he's, I, I think he's somebody who, um, I mean, if anything, I think I, think I watched his president's thing with Louis. Yeah, more than I, I saw that That's too. probably more time I spent with Shane Gillis than anything else. <laughs> What'd you think uh, of that? I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting, and you know, it was. Um, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he's up to in, in five, ten years. Yeah, I like Louis's drop-ins on these really obscure, weird podcasts, like Ronan Hirschberg and Joe List podcast. Yeah, talking about was it P.T. Anderson and Stanley Kubrick for two hours. I, I like that too. I think it's very interesting. What do you think of? Um, did you you saw Sorry, right? Lucy, guys, Sorry. Yeah. What do you think of that one? Uh, I thought it was like a Louis C.K. special. Like it was just as like it was. Uh, <clears throat> um, I thought it it wasn't like one of his best ones, um, but it had a few like really high points. Um, and uh, and again, it's like. It feels like a million years ago at this point. The uh, even though I know it wasn't, but so I don't have like a fully fleshed out idea. It uh, the title made my mom laugh, which yeah. is unusual 
for stand-up, but it made me... It's called Louis C.K. Sorry. Right. He's in front of a huge lettering thing that says sorry. Right. I thought he was going to talk about it. So that was... I was waiting the whole uh, special for him to... Right. Say Because I saw him live. I saw him in theater do the same act, and then... I was watching the special and I was just waiting for him to say something, but I guess he's moved on or something. But I don't know. I liked sincerely. Right. Uh, he seemed more comfortable in Sorry, mm. which I think made it less interesting to watch. Mm, okay. What did you think? You think? I mean, again, I'm not. Pa- pass. Pass. It's like, okay, you can you, use your who, pass. What you, I'm going to keep passing until you have some more interesting questions. All right, that's fine. <laughs> this isn't because the New York Times has a, the Louis I'm C.K. Fr- documentary? <laughs> no, I, I got nothing to do with the Louis C.K. documentary, in fact. Um, but I've written about him a ton, so you could, you, could, you could look me up and see what I say about him there. All right, deflection. <laughs> I like it. Uh, let's see. Uh, we should also, I should also say, this is game five of the NBA Finals, in which I am now not watching. I've watched every minute of the Finals, and this guy who's from UC, because I went to college with him, I'm doing the podcast, and I'm hearing these stories. Uh, he's been asking about the most famous handsome comedians, which I've talked about many times, and I'm not watching. Right now, for all we know, Steph Curry is doing something incredible. Uh, but I'm not seeing it. You'll get Andrew Schultz clipped version. You'll be able to watch <laughs> My it. My God, all right. You'll be able to watch the the <laughs> clipped flagrant podcast uh, it's true. commentary right along with the actual game. It's You'll be true. seeing them both at the same time. <laughs> I don't know. Let's see. Anything else? Uh, I have others, but I'm skipping them. I just want to note that. <laughs> okay. I just want okay. to note that. Well, read them fast, and I'll tell you. I'll, I'll see if there's if there's something. There. Donald Glover when he did stand up. Uh, next. All right. Norm Macdonald's first special, which I heard he did. He said he did. Well, him saying it does not make it true. Right. But he said he ju- just did that so that they'd give him the Comedy Central sports show. They said <laughs> you have to do a special. What's it? What's it called? Oh man, I don't remember. Yeah. Next. Okay. Um, Grammys. <laughs> you, you once tweeted uh, most famous the, the Nothing award more boring the award for most famous comedian goes to yeah so you think they're boring I think award shows are unfortunately something that journalists have to cover <laughs> and I am uh, I've learned to not be snide about them because they matter to people right um, but my actual feeling is we give them way too much attention. Um, and uh, like critics, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess I'm biased that, that 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 we should pay more attention to critics, less attention to awards. But the reality is, we pay more attention to awards. Um, I do think that for comedy, it's particularly um, unfair the awards landscape. Uh, that the big the biggest awards, like the Oscars, are generally biased against comedies, and there is no really. Uh, you know, stand-up awards, out, and the biggest one is the Grammys, which is just clueless. I mean, to the, the, the is just historically clueless. I mean, partially, like, look, I mean, again, I'm not trying to be aggressive, but 
No, I Comedy love that. is so interesting. There's so many fascinating comedians out there. All right, sorry, Every, Jesus. But if you ask like everybody, Joe, Joe Q Public, well, what, is, what are the comedians you know? Louis C.K., Chappelle, and then, yeah, if you're on YouTube, Schultz. But they, there's so many more comics. And what you, and unfortunately, what, what I would, to the extent that award shows are really useful, it's in like educating people on what is like exciting, interesting stuff. And uh, so, I think instead what they usually, what the Grammys tends to do is reward the most famous people. I so agree. Louis has won, Chappelle's won, Aziz has won, um, so I'm sure Seinfeld's won at some point. The, um, so in that sense, I think award shows in general. I think you I don't may have it. lost to Tiffany Haddish, but I'm not sure. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And like, again, Tiffany Haddish does something well, but I think that, uh, yeah, I, I, so I, I, I am not a big fan of award shows, and I'm great, but on the other hand, Unlike my peers who cover like movies and theater who have to like really cover their the awards. They have to really take that shit seriously. Right. They, and really think like who's gonna well, win? Well the Grammys were announced the Grammy for Best Comedy album was announced during the commercials until Chappelle started winning them. So I don't really have to care. Yeah. Like professionally. And but so I don't Bo Burnham win a bunch of Emmys or something like that this year. I mean, maybe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So well, that's how little you care. That's how little I care. And, and to be honest with you, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously the people who win them care. And they have PR people who like, you know, whatever. But I don't think the, I don't think people generally, like Hollywood really cares about the Oscars. And Broadway really cares about the Tonys. And the, and the you know, TV. But I don't think stand-ups really care that much. No, I don't, those, you know. I don't think so either. I remember hearing Anthony Jeselnik on his podcast be like, after Fire in the Maternity Ward came out, he was yeah. like, you know, all my previous work hasn't been rewarded. <laughs> this might be the one where I get the the awards. And well, the I'll tell you what to look up. The best things, one of the best things Seinfeld's ever done is he has a, he hates award shows, and mm -hmm. he has a great speech. I think he gave it like the advertising. There's like a word for advertising, oh, yeah. and it's on YouTube. And he gave a speech against award shows, which is biting and funny and correct. He was saying like if you host some, if you do a job well, you get asked to do more or something like that. No, uh, well, I don't remember the exact details, but it was it was a case against awards. Okay, who are the obscure people? I'm I'm oh, interested. Oh boy, now. read me, read me. Just go to the go go to Jason online. <laughs> and I, uh, you could go I've on your times. I know you have I've read since, all of your articles. I know, so that's why you asking me about like the three people everyone knows. <laughs> I I regularly cover people well, who it's are obscure. I'm... It just as often as I cover people who are not obscure. Well, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you all the obscure people <laughs> at the hour and 15 <laughs> minutes in of this podcast. It's because I'm going to It's particularly for someone who is whose opening thing was I've read everything you read. Okay, so it's true. Tell me, all right? I have, I have, I have read everything or most of what you've written. Um, I did think that guy was being ridiculous. The director in the latest one, who is like classic director of all the comedy specials, he's like, oh, Martin, you know, Marty Callender. If it's a, if it's a big act out, go wide. If it's a, you have to see their face, show their face. And it's like that's nice, but it sounds like someone was shooting an action movie. And, I feel like early days of that, they'd say the same thing. Yeah, but uh, that was, I was, that is like, it would be like the equivalent of talking to the first person who directed the first feature film, right? Ever. Yes. Right? So like, it, exactly. it was fascinating. I know people were like, I put that quote in for a reason, which was like, he's not wrong. Like to some degree, that's still what people do. Like even, even like the Chris Rock thing or Bo Burnham, what's he doing? It's just an extreme close up, but it's still, a, it's the emotional part you do a close up. So that part of that quote I thought was fascinating because I was like, here's the first guy, the first director ever 
to have to make this artistic decision about what how you film a joke, right? right? And uh, in a and he did like I mean if you look at his he did Steve Martin and Robin Williams and everybody Carl everybody I and mean, it was incredible. So that was a I'm real I was excited to write that piece because I was like here's somebody who people don't know, right? Here's like that's what I see my job is like. I'm not that useful talking about Louis C.K. and David Chappelle. Everyone's got an opinion on them. The, uh, I would but, argue, though, that your opinion tends to be more balanced. I think you're. Well, I think you're more balanced and more thoughtful about it. If you want to, not talk, always right. If, no, of course not. I mean, but, there's no such thing. It's, it's, it's subjective. Sure. If you want to talk about what my you know journalism and how I see my job, which is fundamentally different than what comedy is, right? It's not. It's not about being. I'm not a comedian. I don't want to be a comedian, and being. Uh, and I don't see my job as to be right, yeah. but I do see my job as to be fair. And there's a s systematic way of thinking about that. And so that means being fair to the Andrew Schultz of the world. It means being fair to, you know, the Bo Burnham's of the world, being fair to the Caper Lance of the world, being fair to, you know, the Amy Schumer's of the world. And um, so, and there's a part of me which is also, you know, the reason I got into this job was because I'm curious about the world. And one thing that's exciting about it is writing about things that people don't know about. Even when I'm, when I'm writing about Louis or I'm writing about Chappelle, I want to say, tell people things that they don't know. So like this piece about, I wrote about Norm Macdonald and Bo Burnham. They're two of the most well-known comedians around, but the angle on it is, all right, they, why not have, why, why, why not have a live stand-up without an audience? What are there advantages to be had without having an audience, which goes against the grain of what most comedians would say. And, but it's worth thinking about. It's worth thinking about this idea because you, can you get places without an audience that you can't get with an audience? So those are the kind of things that I think a journalist can do. And some people, you know, you know they'll say, oh, that, you know, it's ridiculous to do that. It's not for me or whatever. And Marty Callender is a thing where I can do where it's like, look, you're all working on the shoulders of the people who came before you. Absolutely. And while you know George Carlin, Richard Pryor, you actually don't know. My guess is the guy who directed them, and and in the in the you know first specials, and who then had this crazy other career directing, you know, created hair metal and all this crazy stuff. He's a fascinating dude. And um, so I mean, I'm both. Th those are the parts of my job I'm more interested in. Now it's also part of my job to kick to cover the biggest stories. And you know, sometimes I sometimes I go. I, I'm I'm with everybody else. I mean, I'm, I don't think like my take on Bo Burnham was particularly, uh, you know, different than most people. I was going to ask you about the outtakes, but you included it in your latest. <laughs> yeah, I thought the outtakes were fascinating. I thought it was. I when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is what I thought he would have put out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if I'd seen if he'd put out, it's like this is the Bo Burnham pandemic special. I would have been like, oh, this is enjoyable. This is interesting, as opposed to Inside, which was felt. How did you say it? Craft catching up to talent or something like that? No, I liked Inside a lot. No, I'm, I'm yeah, saying yeah. in terms of like Bo Burnham's craft. Right, right, catching right. Catching up to his talent. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Inside. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's um, what to me was interesting is about like he clearly didn't put the funniest stuff in. Yes. And so why is that? The Joe Rogan uh, parody was very funny. Very funny. I thought the other one was even, was also for the one with the, um, the, uh, where he interviews like nine of them, yeah. nine versions, and it's like the parody was, of entertainment journalists. But and I get those; those don't cohere. They don't cohere, and he was after something bigger than just 
the maximum number of laughs. The chicken one wouldn't have made any sense in a pandemic special. Like it doesn't fit yeah. with a the theme and stuff like that. I mean, you could I, I could argue with it. Like I could argue with like, oh, would it, you know, this thing would be better in there. But um, I think he's someone who's you know thinking about these specials in another the way the way. Well, look, he made a feature. And everybody knows if you're making a feature, you don't put your best scenes in. You, they got to fit. I didn't finish eighth grade. You're, okay. Well, I got to the banana part and I was like, ah. <laughs> you're done. I, I, I mean. Uh, That's fine. But I'm in college right now. So like eighth grade wasn't that far away from where I am. Right. So I didn't really need to see a reenactment or whatever. Um, That's fine. That was, that was my thing. But I don't know. I, I think the leaving out the funniest parts or whatever. I'd argue he kind of did that in Rothaniel. Mm. Like I really, because I've paid closer attention to things and I've edited things and stuff like that. Right. I was, there was a moment about two thirds of the way into Rothaniel that I found very frustrating right. where uh, he comes out, he makes the, a couple jokes that like, it really feels alive. Right. The crowd really feels alive, and there's, like, an energy, a crackle in the room. Right. And then the woman goes, and he says, like, I have no more secrets. Right. And then the woman goes, but your name, though. Right. And it gets a huge laugh. Right. And then they clearly cut to, like, another show, or right. maybe 20 minutes later in the show, to include some material and sort of the ending grace notes and stuff. Right, right. I would have liked to stay with that show. And Got maybe it. that's a performer thing where... You know, I was talking to someone else about how with Bill Burr's specials, you just stick a camera in front of him and there's not that many cuts. But you can kind of do that with Bill Burr because he's that kind of performer. Okay. Maybe Gerard Carmichael can't, is not carrying the show in that funny place where maybe he's not interested in that. Right. So, I don't know. That annoyed me. Okay. I was just trying to be more obscure. <laughs> okay, good. All right, last thing. <laughs> um I'll go real obscure for this one. Amy Schumer. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, but in, I remember first article or early article about Amy Schumer, you were talking about how you've said how she was asked, you asked her about were you a popular kid in high school? Yeah. And she said, uh, yes. She said she was, or right. what group were you in? And she said, yeah, I was one of the popular kids, which right. is not the cool thing to do at the celebrity point. So she had... You know, she right. it demonstrated to you an interest in being honest or whatever. Uh, well, no, I mean, I don't know. That, what's about your question? Uh, in that spirit, I didn't like one of your articles, or okay. I had a good. disagreement with one good, of your good, articles. Good, 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 strong disagreement. Okay. Okay. Who I thought was very funny in the and okay. is probably a great comedian, and right. I liked her as he's been and all the disclaimers that I have to say. Because I, I <laughs> genuinely, did, I don't but you, but mean... But you didn't like her special. That's I, no, I actually oh. didn't mind the special. Uh, well, I'm, my I'm problem sorry. is with you. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what's your, what's your disagreement? That was a profile. What's oh, I see. Not a review? Well, that's some just stating fact right okay. now. That is what it was. Um, there was a part... <laughs> But I'm curious, what what part of the profile, the interview of <laughs> did you think she was Gerard Carmichael and you don't like him? So what is, what is it? Tell me. In a big part of it, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. Uh, and I looked it up yesterday. Okay. Um, 
was like, or a point that was being made was she's not going to say things just for the laugh, not just for the joke. She means what she says. Okay. To some extent, right? I I honestly don't remember the exact thing. This is the profile I wrote, you know, two, 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 three years ago. But okay, get to, what's your disagreement? Yeah. I, I just saw like one or two punchlines that felt like, I think they were stereotype playing on Asian stereotypes or something like leaning into those and okay. and it just made me go like oh that feels like a contradiction that you know this was pre like the Asian hate crimes being a big thing this was pre that Marvel movie whatever so I don't think people had as close a watch for it but I I thought that was so your take was that I was that it, that she did say that for yeah I, I, okay. it felt like for a laugh well getting right on. All right, <laughs> you're not the first person. This isn't. <laughs> that, that's that. Good for you. This is probably the tamest disagreement with a critic. No, it's not. I, as I as I told you at the beginning of this, man, I I I once I write it first. As I said, that wasn't a review. It was a profile. But I'm not going to argue with someone who disagrees with me. I love it. That's the point. And I'm. I think part of my job is to like start conversations, and then people disagree with me. That's great. I don't like, again, I don't know chapter and verse that, so I, and I don't frankly feel like I'm real comfortable not getting the last word. Sure. So I hear you. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, 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 I'll, I'll, you know. Haven't you seen you're supposed to vehemently disagree even if you don't mean it. I know. That's how I you know. get clicks. I did. I mean, it is true. When I was on Tim Dillon, we did disagree a lot. We did, we did, we did. That was go fun. I like watching the argument. That, w- that was fun. I mean, I like argue. I like a good argument. Um, but when it comes to disagreeing over, over specials and stuff, it, it, it's um, a lot of it's like a lo- there is a lot of just taste. I agree. There is a lot of taste. And the question really is how how what's interesting is how solid an argument you can make so it does make a difference from my point of view again whether something's a review or a profile Mm. it's a fundamentally different form interesting so i am a little different than most writers for the for the paper for the times in that i don't just i'm not just a critic i'm not just a reporter i i'm not I do, I do some stuff which is straight criticism. I do some stuff which is profile. And the point of the profile is not to argue with the person or not to, it is at times parts of it to summarize their work. And it's certainly not to review their work. It's to, you know, if anything, is to spotlight them, to illuminate what they're trying to do, to put them in context. Um, it's a completely different form. It's like comparing, you know, uh, a political speech to stand-up, you know, or comparing sketch to but uh, so I mean that's that's one where I'm like yeah I don't I don't the uh, I don't really have any passion to disagree with you but but I could it's totally possible that I could say something that that you disagree with on that point and that's cool. All right, go watch your basketball game. <laughs> Thank God, my God, let's see. Good talking to you. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. I I definitely have read all your stuff and really enjoy it. You, you, you referenced a ton of them in detail, so I know you were there. No, I was. Quoting the article, how many people have done that? No, no, I mean, that's...